uh, this image of a potter and the medium of clay, I believe, is a, a sentimental one in our tradition. A beloved image that has been used in some sense over the centuries to describe a particular kind of closeness between God and creation. If we were to sit with it for a spell, I think it would also speak directly to an intimacy whose progeny was none other than life itself. We are reminded of that great love and the elements used to make the very pots that Jeremiah is speaking about, namely the elements of dust, dirt, of the earth itself. That same humus, you'll remember, that was used to form the first being and then, in a moment of grace, received a kiss that bore the very breath of God. The moment in creation where dust became beloved. From that primordial memory of our first kiss comes then this image of Jeremiah looking upon a craftsman shaping a clay utensil. Then in his mind back to an image of a creator whose hands Jeremiah's senses are used to shape not just our days, but the years of our lives, whether they be tumultuous or serene. Not only that, but whose hands, it seems, are personally involved in shaping the rise and fall of nations and the great globe itself. Jeremiah speaks to this conviction in the midst of a judgment against the citizens of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. His call of a repentance and amendment of life rising above the idolatry of that nation's hubris. So standing there amidst the indifference of wills, Jeremiah warns the citizens of Judah not just about the coming wrath of destruction, but simultaneously begins speaking with a sense of urgency about something else. For in the very next chapter, we meet the prophet in the valley of a place, or in the valley of the son of Hinnom, at the entry of a place called the Potsherd Gate. And there with him face a universal truth. That like every pot, no matter how skillful the human potter is in molding the clay, one day that pot will break. And so too, every person's life. If one gets a sense of anything in today's lesson, it's Jeremiah's reckoning with the reality of impermanence of all things that I think speaks the most directly to our human condition and concurrently our hope that despite our mortality the hands of the master potter are never too far away in the end. But if I'm honest it was really the course in pottery my daughter took at St. Andrews last year that allowed me to see this state of impermanence, this image of wet clay spinning in her hands in conjunction with something a little bit more real, my desires as a dad. 
And that would be that all my kids, everyone that I love, would remain grounded, stable, and secure in whatever they did or wherever their lives took them. The hard lesson for me as a parent came when I read the words of the prophet this week and realized yet again that those desires do not always result from us finding ourselves in environments of stasis. Nor do they result from periods in which our lives are static, but do in fact happen most readily in the very real whirling reality of change. On that spinning wheel, and whereby just saying that the clay is shaped betrays a kind of violence. As a result of Morgan's coursework, I began taking the time to learn some of the terms she was using in our conversations to tell me how she worked with clay. Methods such as coning, centering, opening, pulling, and then finally cleaning and trimming. Throwing clay, as it's called, is done with a considerable amount of intentionality, way more than I had previously thought, and quite different from what I perceived to be at first, somewhere between making mud pies and glorified sandcastles. Now this art of hers focuses on proportion, balance, pressure, symmetry, desire, and the relationship between each of those factors, the medium, and the artist's will. This despite several elements that, if not understood properly, seem to work against what is being formed. Things like centrifugal force, gravity, and even the composition of the clay itself. Outside factors notwithstanding, it all seems rather spiritual to me. Yes, and alive, she said. That is, until it's fired. Or in other words, its malleability is only for a moment. Its fluid nature transient. That is, until touched by fire, and in some cases, embalmed with glaze. Do you love it? I asked. Of course, she said. It's a lot like life. Brief and often fragile. Hearing those words from someone so young really focused my attention. And if she were here, I'd tell her to take heart. And the fact that life is transient is part of its liveliness. And knowing her love of poetry, I would say that from St. Paul to Shakespeare, the poets, in speaking of the transience of the world, always have uttered their best poetry. Take, for instance, this passage from The Tempest. Our revels now are ended. These, our actors, as I foretold you, were all spirits. 
and are melted into air, into thin air. And like the baseless fabric of this vision, the cloud-capped towers, the gorgeous palaces, the solemn temples, the great earth itself, by all which it inherit shall dissolve, and like this insubstantial pageant faded, leave not a rack behind. We are such stuff as dreams are made of. And our little life is rounded with a sleep. A teacher of mine once said, you see, there is always in the poetry of Evanescence a kind of funny nostalgia. We see this in an example in Jeremiah's experience with the potter. There, even though outside forces threaten to work against creation, he sees in the shaping of the vessel that there is still, by the sheer grace of time, the possibility if met by the fluid nature of our consent, the ability to be shaped at all. And that by turning, it yields to something extravagant, a chance at a life well lived, righteous and holy. And we know this because St. Paul picks up on Jeremiah's parable in his second letter to the Corinthians when he says, but we have this treasure you see in clay jars so that it might be made clear that this extraordinary power, a power, he says in his first letter, that is foolish to those who have everything figured out, that this power belongs to God and is not from us. For we are, in fact, afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. Or, as G.K. Chesterton well put it once, chattering finch and waterfly are not merrier than I. Here among the flowers I lie, laughing everlastingly. No, I may not tell the best. Surely, friends, I might have guessed death was but the good king's jest. It was hid so carefully. I said so well, it doesn't sound that bad after all, does it? <laughs> 